All right, I want to begin by reading the text, and then we'll talk about its meaning and its significance for us today. So Acts chapter 21, turn there if you have your Bibles. It's also on the screen, starting in verse 17, Acts 21, 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Who's we? It's Luke, the author of Acts, the Apostle Paul, and those who were with them. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. James is the brother of Jesus. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem. The elders were the other leaders of the church. After greeting them, Paul related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They're going to certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what has been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. First thing I want to note here is that uh, Paul has finally made it back to Jerusalem. Remember, in the previous weeks, Paul has been on like a beeline course to Jerusalem. He was determined to get to Jerusalem by the feast of, by Passover. He's finally arrived, and when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's greeted warmly by the Christians there. The next day, he has an audience with uh, the leaders of the, of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And the first thing they do is they give Paul an opportunity to share with them what God has been doing among the Gentiles. Because Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles. He's been in Asia. He's been in, uh, in Syria. He's been in Greece, Thracia. He's been all over the place. And Paul gives a report. And uh, probably a lot of what we've been uh, looking at here in Acts. Uh, Gentiles by the thousands are bending the knee to Jesus. They're not, it's, Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah of the whole world. And you've got Gentiles who are, get, their sins are being forgiven. They're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Miracles are being done. Churches are being formed. Uh, God is on the move among the Gentiles. What a great report. And, the, and the, uh, James and the elders of the Jerusalem church hear this. And what do they do? They glorify God. They, I'm sure that they also said, Paul, way to be faithful. But God, 
you are blowing us away with how your, your uh, good plans are so much bigger than we ever expected. That, that Jesus' kingdom is not just for the Jew, it's for all. Everyone can enter in and be freed from the kingdom of darkness and be placed into the kingdom of light. Where there is forgiveness of sins and the presence of God and life forever and ever. In fact, if you're here today and you, you are not a Christian, I want, the, the thing I want you to be pondering today is, might today be the day that you respond to God's love for you in the person of Jesus Christ? Maybe today is the day that you have your sins forgiven, where you get your name written into the Lamb's book of life, and you enter into a personal relationship with God. And, and I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the message today. So Paul recounts what God has done among the Gentiles and and God is glorified. And then, then the elders change the topic. In fact, I think one of the reasons all the elders are present is because they've got a, a, a concern. They're, they've got a heart, some heartburn. Paul's coming to town poses a problem. And then they share with Paul. Uh, Brother Paul... You can, you can see with your own eyes how many thousands of Jews have become Christians. That's an awesome thing. But they're all zealots for the law of Moses. And they've been told that you are out there telling the Jews who live outside of Palestine, what we technically call the diaspora, you've been telling the Jews of the diaspora that they... They shouldn't circumcise their kids. They shouldn't follow the customs of the Jews. They don't need to observe the law of Moses anymore. No more kosher eating. No more Jewish festivals and purification rites. They don't need to do any of that. And that's got the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem up in arms because although they are trusting uh, Christ's death upon the cross as payment for their sins, they're still zealous for Judaism. They... they don't want to lose their Jewish identity and their Jewish customs and practices, and they think that you are threatening that, and they're very agitated. And they're going to hear that you've come to town. We're not going to be able to keep that a secret. And so they're, what they're telling Paul is, Paul, we're concerned that we're about to have a church controversy. This is going to, uh, this can erupt and become a, a divisive issue. And it can get our, our eyes focused on uh, kind of inward problems rather than being outward focused on the mission. And so, Paul, please help us out. We think we've come up with a solution. So we're asking you, Paul, to please uh, go, go to the temple, go through a purification rite, take with you four guys in our church who have made a vow. Probably this is a Nazarite vow, talked about in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, a Nazarite vow is uh, somebody says, I'm going to separate, separate myself solely to the Lord for a period of time. May, uh, a, a month was the minimum. I won't eat certain foods. I won't cut my hair. I, I am devoting myself single-mindedly to, to the Lord for this period of time. And a, after which you kind of concluded that time by going and getting your hair cut and making some sacrifices at the altar or at the temple. Paul himself had actually made a Nazarite vow uh, earlier in the book of Acts. And so they say, Paul, we've got four Christian guys who are currently under a vow. Take them with you to the temple. Pay for them 
to get their hair cut and, you know, to conclude this thing. And you yourself go through a purification process, which is probably takes about a week. Uh, very possibly, they thought was, you know, you've been out in the Gentile lands and gotten yourself ritualistically unclean, and so go through a purification process. And if you do this, everybody will see it. It'll get talked about, and then it'll put to rest all the fears. People will recognize, oh, Paul himself lives according to the Jewish customs. We don't need to worry about this. And Paul agrees, and he goes and does just that. Now, some Christians have read this story and gotten mad at Paul. You're caving, Paul. Come on. You're giving in to the demands of the Judaizers. You've been fighting this battle for months and months. Why are you capitulating here? This is a colossal mistake on Paul's part. He's confusing the issues of what really makes one right with God. You're backing away from the doctrine of uh, salvation by grace through faith alone apart from works of the law. Paul, you blew it. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think this is a story of Paul demonstrating a proper prioritization of the unity of the church and peace among the people of God. And Paul, I think the reason Luke records this story is to show us how willing Paul was to be flexible, to, to just go bend way over backwards in order to allow for there to be peace, to not get in the way of the church's unity and ultimately the church's mission. I think this is a story of example to us. We need to be willing to give up our liberties, our more accurate uh, theological understanding, our preferences for the sake of other Christians. Now, the text does not tell us Paul's thought process. All Luke tells us is, um, this is what was asked of him, and this is what he did. But I don't think it's hard for us to reconstruct the, 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 proce the thought process Paul went through in light of his other writings. And I think there are four big questions Paul had to wrestle with for him to get to a point where he said, okay, I'll do that. And I want to walk through these questions because they're the questions that we have to wrestle with when, when um, trying to determine to what degree should we be flexible for the sake of unity and the mission of the church. The first question uh, is this. Does God require this of me? So they're asking Paul to go through a ritualistic, a ritual ritual purification process, and Paul's had to think, is this something I need to do? And the answer to that is no. Paul knew that because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he now stood perpetually pure in the eyes of God. His faith in Christ meant that the righteousness of Christ had been applied to his life, and when God looked at him, he saw Jesus' righteousness constantly. He always was pure. And so going and hanging out with Gentiles and traveling around Gentile lands didn't actually make him impure at all. This was not something God required of him. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith 
would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, now we are justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So Paul's theological understanding at this time is, uh, hey, I, I am not obligated to keep any of the mosaic ritualistic laws. They were a guardian until the time that Christ came. And now I'm free from that. So it's not something God requires of me. A couple chapters later, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he writes, or 15, he writes, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Circumcision doesn't, it's not required anymore. It doesn't do anything for us spiritually. It's all about the new creation of the heart. He talks about that elsewhere in Galatians, circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. Regarding kosher eating, 1 Corinthians 8, 8. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. And then finally, Romans chapter 14, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul, Paul you know, does God require this of me? And the answer to that, Paul knew, is no. I'm pure. I don't need to go through a purification ritual in the temple. I stand pure before, in the eyes of God because of my faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness has been applied to my account. But here, here's what's important for us. That's not the only question. For a lot of us, we say, you know what? If God doesn't demand it of me, I'm not going to do it. I don't have to. I don't care what you want. I don't care how it affects you. Get over it. It's your problem. I'm going to stand in my freedom. And, and, right? But for Paul, that's not the only question. He has additional questions. And the second one is this. If I don't do this, what's the effect on the church? Or another way, a positive way to put it is, will this, what they're asking me, promote peace? And I think Paul recognized, you know what, they're right. There is the danger here for a big controversy to erupt. There is the danger, the real possibility of division and of the church getting uh, focused on an inward problem and, and neglecting the mission. And that weighed on Paul. Third question I think Paul was wrestling with. If I do this, is there any chance it will undermine the gospel? I'm sure Paul wrestled with hmm, you know, I, I don't want people to be confused and to start thinking that you have to obey the, uh, observe the laws of Moses, the custom of the Jews in order to be saved. Remember, this battle had already been fought. And if you go back to Acts chapter 15, there was this huge council of the church in which they wrestled with the fundamental question. Uh, how does somebody get saved? What does God require? And the church answered for one, once and for all, Salvation is by grace, unmerited favor, through faith. When God sees our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, 
he responds with forgiveness of sins and life everlasting and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And the church had answered that. It is faith alone that God requires. And observing, observance of the law becomes uh, not obligatory, it becomes optional. And so, hey, if you want to continue to practice the law of Moses and the customs of the Jews in order to be Jewish, go ahead. You're free in that. And so Paul, you know Paul was thinking, hmm, if I go do what they're asking me to do, is there any chance it's going to confuse people and, in a sense, uh, play to the hands of the Judaizers, the ones who uh, argued faith plus works, namely observing the law of Moses, is necessary. But ultimately, Paul concludes, no, it won't. And actually, I think that in our text today, the elders um, try to alleviate that concern because they remind Paul in verse 25, we are not reopening the question of, of, uh, of, of what constitutes salvation. They reiterate what was decided at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Almost word for word. Verse 25. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment, and that had happened a long time ago, that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. And when we went through that passage, I reminded you that uh, the, it wasn't like those four things plus faith saved you. It was we are recommending these four things so that the gen Gentiles... Christians can have fellowship with Jewish Christians in the, in the, in the world because the Jews are just, these, these are the kind of things they just simply can't, they can't be with you if you're eating blood uh, or um, food that's been sacrificed to idols. And so I think Paul concluded, you know what, my doing this isn't going to undermine uh, the gospel of grace uh, through faith. And then the final question, very important question, to what degree should I be willing to uh, sacrifice for the sake of the, the group? What, to what degree should I pursue unity? So let me read you some answers Paul gives us. He answers this question in some of his writings. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, Paul writes... 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I'm sorry. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. See, I, I, don't, I don't have to, but I choose to that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and it's blessing. Man, this is Paul saying, I am the most flexible guy you've ever met. I am spiritual Gumby. <laughs> I am willing, I'm willing to become all things to all people so that I can win them. Because he's got, in his priority, it's about the gospel. 
It's about people getting saved. It's about the church flourishing. And Paul's like, you know what? I'm willing to give up my preferences. I'm willing to give up my liberties. I'm willing to give up my better knowledge if it's going to help other people. And that's what this story is about. That's why Luke includes this story in the Bible because it's, it's Paul putting flesh to what he is uh, to the theory he's articulated in other writings. He's saying, look what Paul does. He's willing to uh, go through a purification rite. He's willing to pay for other people. He inconvenienced, causes, it, it costs him money. But he values the unity of the church, the peace of the church, and the mission of the church. So my dad was telling me, uh, my mom and dad, when I, when I was a kid, we went to First Conservative Baptist Church. It's uh, no longer uh, around here in Anchorage. And my dad said when, uh, when they were, wanted to become members, they had to sign um, a statement that says, we will not drink alcohol. To be members of the church, you were not allowed to drink any alcohol. And my dad said, I paused. I had to think about that. Because biblically, he said, I didn't believe that that was required the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. So drunkenness is off the table, but a beer on a hot day or a glass of wine around a good pasta meal, man, I like that. Do I really have to give that up? And so this, this church was saying, we're asking you to give up a legitimate liberty. And so we had, I said, we had to wrestle with that, but we said, okay. For the sake of being a part of this community, ultimately he became a deacon for the sake of uh, ministry opportunity, I'm willing to forego go my liberty so that there's no controversy here within this group. And so I grew up in a teetotaling house. My parents now are total lushes. No, that's not true. I'm kidding. It's probably why that church went down, you know? They're like, fewer and fewer people willing to sign that. That was not rehearsed. I'm sorry. That was a great church, actually. It was a great church. When I was in Russia, I was a missionary in Russia and, uh, for, for a year. And the American women who were missionaries wore head coverings in church. We worked with the Russian Baptists. And the Russian Baptists uh, believe that the biblical command women are to wear uh, head coverings in church in order to symbolize uh, the fact that they're under the headship of their husbands. They believe that that applies to today. Now, the, most of the American female missionaries believe that, yes, there's a timeless truth. The timeless truth is a wife is to submit to her husband. But the, but the application of wearing a head covering was kind of time-bound. That was the symbol of uh, submission in Paul's day. But that doesn't, you know, today we don't think that way, right? So there are other applications. And yet they didn't... They didn't uh, Go to Russia and, and school, the, you know, school the Russian Christian women on their uh, more advanced theological understanding. They just wore head coverings so that there wouldn't be an issue. And so that they could do ministry and so there could be unity in the church. And I, I applaud that. I think that's awesome. They, Christians, uh, the Christians also took literally... Greet each other with a holy kiss. I kissed 100 different men on the lips. I counted. 
Now that is suffering for Jesus. Because they didn't always brush their teeth. Sometimes they'd come down in the morning, hey man. And I was like, ah, please. When I first heard that I got to kiss, at first I'm like, oh really, there are some attractive Christian women in Russia, right? And then they're like, no, no, it's with guys. I'm like, what are you talking, no way. That was unrehearsed too, okay, I'm off. Three statements that, uh, that can cause us to resist um, pursuing unity. But it's not wrong. It's not wrong. God doesn't require this of me, our liberty. But I'm right. I know better. But I like it better that way, my preferences. And what this story says is sometimes we have to give up our liberty. Sometimes we have to uh, suppress our better understanding. Sometimes we have to give up our preferences uh, in, for the sake of the group. For peace, for unity, for the gospel to proceed. I want to end by just expanding this a bit. What if we related to people like this? What if we related to our spouses, our children, our teachers, our bosses, our co-workers, our classmates? You know, it always comes back. Christian ethics, Christian uh, behavior always comes back to how does God relate to us? And so here's Paul, final verse in Romans chapter 15. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Man, that is so countercultural. The world tells us, look out for number one. Nobody else is thinking about your needs. You need to look out for number one, otherwise you're going to get left behind. And the Bible says, we don't live to please ourselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's God saying. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. When Christ hung upon the cross, he took the punishment for your sins and my sins. Not his sin. He was righteous. But he willingly went to the cross and he hung there and he suffered so that you and I might live. He gave up all so that we might be blessed. And so he sets the example. How would your marriage be different if you truly related to your spouse, not out of your own self-interest, but for their interest? Your kids, your parents, kids. Have you ever thought to yourself, boy, how can I, how can I bless my parents? How can I live for my parents' benefit? I never did. But, you know, hey, you guys could get ahead of me. Amazing. Just completely transform. It can, this could transform our relationships. If you don't know Jesus, please hear that Christ has paid the penalty. His death upon the cross is sufficient payment for the sins of the entire world. But only those who repent of their sins and put their faith in him 
Only those who receive benefit. So Christ has done everything necessary for you to be reconciled to God, for you to live forever. But you have to respond. Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. God, you set the example. We want to uh, follow your example, Lord, because it it leads to life abundant. Thank you for your word. We choose to believe and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.